Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Naples Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you'll be blessed by this week's message from Pastor Aaron Lapp. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org. Heavenly Father, I do thank you so much for the opportunity to be able to come here together today and to open up your word uh, and study and worship through our singing and through our prayer and through our study, Lord, this morning. I pray, Lord, that you have already begun to prepare the soil of our heart to be able to receive the seed of your word this morning. I thank you so much, Lord, and I pray this in your name. Amen. Well, one day, a man was driving through town when he saw a flash of a traffic camera. He figured that his picture had just been taken for exceeding the speed limit, even though he knew he was not speeding. Just to be sure, he went around the block and passed the same spot, driving even more slowly, but again, the camera flashed. Now he began to think that this was quite frustrating, so he drove even slower as he passed the area one more time, but the camera flashed. He tried a fourth time and a fifth time with the same results, and now he was furious as the camera flashed as he rolled by at a snail's pace. I think I was behind him, actually. <laughs> Two weeks later, he got five tickets in the mail for driving without a seatbelt. <laughs> you see, this guy was convinced that he knew all there was to know about this situation, and he was unable to even consider that there was an alternative. Not speeding, no seatbelt. Up until the arrival of Jesus, the Jews believed that they knew all there was to know about the one who would come, the Messiah. But now Jesus is on the scene, and he's doing things. He's demonstrating divine power. And it caused some of them to begin to rethink what they thought they knew for sure about the one who would come. Last week in chapter 12, we uh, looked at this idea that Jesus was this display of divine power that Jesus showed them when he cast out the demon of a blind, uh, mute man who was able, unable to speak. Therefore, they thought it was impossible for the demon that was within him to be cast out. Um, but Jesus steps in and without even having to have the man speak at all, is able to cast out the demon and heal his blindness and heal his muteness. Muteness? <laughs> the crowds that were gathered around them then begin to reevaluate what they thought the Messiah would be and who this guy Jesus was. Maybe you're doing the same thing. I hope that if you don't have an understanding of who Jesus is over the last couple of weeks, if you've been here, you have begun to reevaluate who you thought this guy Jesus was. Maybe this is your first time uh, in church in a long time. Maybe this is your first time in church ever. Maybe you heard something about Jesus, um, you know, oh, I, I, you know, that's that Christian God, you know, or, or, you know, he was a good guy, or he was, you know, a rabbi, or, or I don't know, I've seen him on posters and in movies, and was, you know, and isn't he the butt of jokes sometimes? And all of that is true of this world now. But maybe you're beginning to reevaluate what it is that you thought about Jesus before, just as they did. 
Now, the really cool thing about these last couple of chapters, though, is that there are invitations from Jesus throughout these chapters. Chapter 11, remember, he says, Come to me, all who are labored and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In chapter 12, he's going to say, Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother or sister. Whoever, guess what? That's open to who? Whoever. That's right. You guys are quick. All right. In chapter 13, the parable of the sower, the sower seeds to whoever will hear and believe. Invitation after invitation after invitation. Whoever, it's open. Whoever will do the will of my Father. Whoever will come. Whoever believes is a part of my family. Jesus will say, come to me. All of those who are laden, weary, labored, and I will give you rest. It's not just one invitation, but it's many, and it's often. It's as if Jesus really wants to spend eternity with you. Can you imagine? That's the truth. The Pharisees, remember, they're extremely irritated with Jesus. In verse 38 of the, uh, chapter 12, remember, they, they, they say to him, after he's done all these things, show us a sign. Jesus, if you would show us a sign, we'll believe you. And I have to scratch my head still and say, other than the guy that, you just, that, I, that he just cast the demon out and healed the blind and the mutinous, other than the people that I've healed, other than the demons that you know I've been casting out of all these people, you, you mean other than that? And they're saying, Jesus, if you would just show us a sign of our choosing, if you would just do it the way we would like you to do it, then we'll believe. Do you think they would believe? Mm, I doubt it. Jesus answers them and he goes, I'm not going to show you a sign. I'm not going to dance for you like a monkey Um, The only sign that you'll be convinced of, if it convinces you at all, is what Jesus says is the sign of Jonah the prophet. And remember, we talked about the parallels between Jonah and Jesus. Jonah um, cast himself into peril to appease the wrath of God when he said, throw me into the water and the storms, at least, you know, that will appease God's wrath. Jesus willingly went to the cross to appease the wrath of God against the sin of the world. Jonah was then in the belly of a fish for three days until God brought him out from the fish in the same way Jesus was in the belly of the earth, it says, for three days before the Lord brought him forth. Both of them came then with a message of redemption. Nineveh got a prophet who hated their guts. He said, I don't want to go to Nineveh and I don't want to tell them that they need to repent Um, I'd rather you burn them to a black smudge on the face of the earth, God. But Jesus came wanting us to receive that message of repentance, wanting us to turn back to the Lord. Jesus, as he's telling them this, he says, Nineveh had a prophet who hated them, and they repented. Then he uses the example of the Queen of Sheba. She traveled 1,200 miles to come and hear from a man, Solomon, for his wisdom. And you, he says to the people who are in his proximity, you have one greater than Solomon standing in your presence. And he's like, what has two thumbs and is greater than the prophet of Solomon? This guy. 
and yet they still reject him. He says, you have one greater in your presence and you still reject me. That brings us right to where we left off, chapter 12, verse 43. Now, the review is very important. You have to know what Jesus was just talking to them about, um, the, 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 the importance of the acceptance of him as the Savior to be able to understand verse 43, 44, 45. Okay, so let's read it. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. Clearly now the place is swept and in order. The rent has gone up. He needs seven roommates to to afford it. We can relate. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of the man is worse than the first. And so, this is the key verse right here. So shall it also be with this wicked generation. You have to understand, entire doctrines have been built around these three verses having to do with demon possession and demon characteristics and the man and the woman who can this and that. And that is not what he's talking about. This is not Jesus's commentary on demons or how they do or don't possess a man. He is talking about um, uh, something greater than that. Um, this is it. This is what Jesus is saying is first the application is to whom? Who is he talking to? He's talking to the Pharisees who are rejecting him as the Messiah that come. The leaders of the people of the Jews. These are the ones who have rejected him despite the fact that he's just shown divine power over and over again. And they're rejecting him as the one who is to come. He's using this as an example. He's using a demon possessed man because he literally has just done that in their presence. And he says that you were all freed from the the demon of idolatry. You know, the Jews in the Old Testament especially battled idolatry forever, over and over and over. Even when God would call them out and they were in the land and then they would get too close to the pagan people next to them and they would take on their idols and their worship as well as the worship of God. And then you know what God would do? He would, it says in check out Judges, check out Kings, sell them into the hands of a pagan nation near them. And it would be eight, nine, 10, 12 years. And then they would cry out to the Lord and then he would come in and he would free them from that oppression. And then you know what they would do? A couple of years, they'd be good. 10, 12 years, they'd have a judge who was really good. 12 years later, guess what they're doing? They're worshiping idols again. Over, and then you know what he would do? He would sell them into the hands of the next enemy, the next pagan nation. And then they would, after a few years, they would cry out and he would come in and he would free them. Essentially, they would sin. He would uh, put them under oppression, under a, a pagan nation. Then they would repent and he would restore them. And guess what they would do? They would go right back to pagan idol worship and gods. They did it over and over and over again until the final, the Babylonian captivity where they were finally freed from idol worship. However, they were not filled with the one who had now come. See, reformation was not enough for them. It only cleansed them. It didn't fill them. That's what this Example is saying, you as a nation, he says, you were freed, cleansed from the demon of idolatry, but you are not filled with me, the one who has come because you reject me. That's the application 
of this verse. Now, there is a personal application now, secondary, that we can look at in these three verses, but it's the same application to us. You can be cleansed of bad habits, but if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, you're going to be in trouble because worse habits are going to come in. Worse things will come in. In fact, Paul, Paul wrote about this. Ephesians someplace. <laughs> I got to find my note. Ephesians 4, um, 21 through 24. I'm going to read it. In, if indeed you have heard him and have taught and have been taught by him as the trust is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct that the man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you do what? Put on the new man which was created according to God in the true righteousness and holiness. He says, you can't just put off. You have to put on. You can't just be cleansed. You have to be filled. Not just with anything, though. You must be filled. Literally, what he's telling them is you need to be filled with me. But they're rejecting him. Now it says in verse 46, while he was still talking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and his brother stood out seeking to speak with him. And then one said to him, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. But he answered and said to the one who told them, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hand toward the disciples and he said, here are my mother and here are my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. You know that we know from Mark's gospel that his brothers and his mother came to collect Jesus because they had heard all the things that he was saying, and they thought, it says in Mark's gospel, that he was out of his mind, and they, they were coming to collect him because they were like, we got to go get Jesus. He's talking crazy talk. You know, he, he thinks that he's the Messiah. Now, I believe his mother believed that, but I know from John's gospel that it says that his brothers did not believe in him yet. His brothers did not believe in him. So they thought he was just starting to lose his mind. They're like, we better go get him before something really bad happens. When Jesus hears that they're outside to collect him, he's not disrespecting his family, you understand. He's not saying, no, I, I don't have family. What he's saying is, whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my sister. See, he's not disrespecting his earthly family. He's just emphasizing the heavenly family. Which, by the way, all of you have access to be a member of. You can be. See, he's like, yes, all right, they're my mother, they're my brothers, um, but those who do the will of my father, that's my brother, that's my father. So that's my earthly family, which you can't be a part of. But here I'm emphasizing the heavenly family, the, the family of my father in heaven, which you can be a part of. You see, in context, you have to keep thinking context as you're reading through, because the whole thing he's talking about is, if you do the will of the father, if you confess me before men, if you do these, if you believe in me, you are included in this. But if you don't accept me, if you reject me, if you don't do the will of my father, then you are outside of the family. You've rejected me. And when it comes to that great day of judgment before you stand before the Lord, Jesus will have to say, I don't know this one. Chapter 13. 
On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by a sea, the sea. And great multitudes were gathered together to him so that he got into a boat and sat on the, um, on, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And then he spoke many things to them in parables. So Jesus goes out, same day. So that other stuff must have been, you know, earlier in the day. He goes out and it says not just a multitude, but a great multitude. Do you know how many people are in a great multitude? More than a multitude. <laughs> That's all I know. That's all I know. But a lot, a lot. So many, in fact, that Jesus goes down to the shore um, and gets in a boat and pushes out a little ways so that, you know, if you know the area at all, the, the, the land kind of slopes down to the water, right? And so everyone is there um, standing, you'll notice, by the way, um, standing on the hill while Jesus gets in a little boat and pushes off and sits down because in that time, I think I may have mentioned this once or twice in the past, that the teacher sat and the listener stood. Luckies. <laughs> I don't think I could sit, honestly. I can't even stand in one place. <laughs> but Jesus pushed out, and what that did was it created this really beautiful, natural, amplified voice that just kind of carried across the water, right? Have you ever, have you ever noticed that? If you've been to like a still body of water, like on a lake, you can like hear the people speaking on the other side of the lake because the sound waves just travel right across the water. And so Jesus pushes out a little bit, and he talks to them about um, the kingdom of heaven, and he begins to teach with parables. Now, in case you're new or you've never looked at this, let me tell you what a parable is. The word parable is a, is a word made up of two Greek words, and it means to cast alongside. Okay, So a parable means, um, uh, what we're going to see is that it's an earthly example alongside a spiritual reality or an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Okay, That's, that's a parable. So he's going to speak to them, and he says, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, let me just stop you right there for a second. I want to explain a little bit, just so you have some context of how this works, because sometimes we forget that things are different now than they were then. And so a sower was a guy that had a big sack of seeds, and he would go out and he would sow, which literally meant that he would, it was either, it was either in a bag like this or it was on the back of his plow, and he would grab a handful and he would just... Whoo, throw like this and he would throw over there and he would try to be as accurate as possible but as we're going to see sometimes seed fell in places that weren't ideal okay but mostly he was sowing into as whatever fertile ground he could find as he walked along he's sowing seeds like this okay that's the sower the sower went out to sow seed and some and he sowed some seed fell by the wayside and the birds came and devoured them I'm not sure what, what version of the Bible you have, but the wayside is a path, all right? They didn't have fences um, sectioning off fields at that time, and, um, and also people didn't want you walking through their freshly planted fields, and so there were these dirt paths that separated all of the fields, um, and that was really hard-packed dirt because it was used over and over and over again. So it had become very hard over time and over uh, use, that's the wayside, that's the path. So think of the path, the wayside, as very hard, compact ground that has become hardened over time and hardened over people kind of walking over top of it. Okay, that's the wayside. And the birds would come and devour up all the seed. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had, um, because they had no depth of earth, but when the sun was up, 
they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Have you ever seen um, a, a place that's very rocky, but in some of the cracks or some of the little pockets, dirt has fallen in there, and then like there's a little plant growing up. Now, there's a limit to how big that plant is going to grow, right? Because there's only so much soil in that little pocket of rock. So that's kind of what this is describing. It's very rocky soil that's got, uh, that's got some rocks and some soil in it where plants can actually take root, but they can't really go very deep, and they never get to be very big. All right, this is the kind of soil that this is talking about, rocky soil. But others, it says, um, oh, let's see, and some fell among the thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them out. So that's pretty self-explanatory, right? There were some areas along the field that were just thorny, kind of crowded over with thorns. The sun couldn't really get in there. The light couldn't get into those places. And so the seeds that fell in there um, could maybe start to spring up a little bit, but because they couldn't get any sunlight and very little rain, that they would just die. They were choked out by the weeds that were growing there. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some 100, some 60, and some 30. Then Jesus says right here, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. It's very important. Jesus will say this a lot of times. It's, it's, it's an important little saying. The words ear there um, isn't just like if you have ears like these attached to your side of your head. It's, it's beyond that. The word ear um, in Greek, it means uh, the faculty of perception. In Greek, that means faculty of perception. Everybody good with that? Doesn't work for me. I had to keep going. It means the ability to see, hear, or become aware of something. So it's not just hearing. It's becoming aware of what it is that you're hearing with your ears. It's like Jesus is saying, hey, there's more to this little story than seeds, wheat, or fish. Um, But you have to want to know it. So when you hear him say, he who has ears to hear, let him hear, he's saying, hey, if you want to know, there's more to this. But if you're content with just a nice story about seeds, wheat, and fish, there you go. That's important to remember. So it says in verse 10, the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered and said to them, because it has been given to you to know the mystery of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For whoever has, to him will be given, and whoever, and, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not he- see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is filled, which says... Hearing you will hear and, sh- and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of his, this people have grown dull. The ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts, and turn so that I shall heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For surely I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you have seen and did not see it, and to hear what you have heard and did not hear it. Okay, so you got it? (laughs) You know, at first it seems a little bit harsh of Jesus to be saying, well, I speak in parables because I know they can't hear it and I know they can't understand it. And it seems like he's saying, I don't really want them to know. 
But essentially, it's kind of, um, it's, it's a kindness on Jesus' part. Because what he's saying is, those who are willing to hear and accept my truth will, will hear it, or at least search out for the spiritual meaning that's alongside the story. But those who reject my truth, or those who reject me, will only hear a nice story about seeds, wheat, and fish, and their hearts will not harden even more than they already are. He's doing them a kindness by speaking in parables because he's saying, if they really want to know, they'll hear what it is that I'm saying or they'll at least listen longer or ask as the disciples will do later. They'll be like, the disciples are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then later like, what what did that, Jesus, what did that one mean? They at least searched it out. But if you don't hear and you don't care and you reject it, then what Jesus is saying is, I'm telling you it in parable, so you're just hearing a nice story. And so your hearts aren't going to harden harder than they already are in hopes that maybe they will be softened up at another time. So it's a kindness on Jesus' part to speak in parables. He's not being sneaky or trying to hide it from them. He's actually trying to protect them from their hearts becoming more hardened and being harder for them to receive later. You know, he says to the disciples, like, you guys are fortunate because there are prophets before you who wrote about much of this stuff and they don't have the advantages that you have the advantages. I'm here with you now, so you're hearing it from me. You're seeing me do these things. They had to write about it without, and many times not even knowing what it is that they were writing, but they had a desire to know it. And he's like, you guys have it good because you can hear it and you can see it and you believe it. They had to believe it or trust in it without ever seeing it or hearing it for themselves. So he says, you guys, you got it good. So then he says, therefore, hear the parable of the sower. So Jesus is going to actually explain the parable of the sower, which is great. Let's see what he has to say. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what has sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside. Why did he think that the example of seed was such a great example of the word of God? It's pretty cool, actually. You know, like a seed contains everything it needs within itself. The seed is complete. The seed has everything in it to become what it was designed to become. Already in there. It's complete. All it needs is fertile soil and some water, right? You don't plant a seed and then have to add apples to the apple tree. Unless it's the ones that were planted at my house as a kid. I'm still bitter. I guess I'm still bitter about those apple trees. You don't have to attach roses to a rose bush. Those seeds are complete. Like the word of God, when planted in the soil of your heart, is complete for everything that he has called you to be. That's, it's complete. You don't add to the word of God, nor should you add to the word of God. We're told not to in the word of God. The word of God itself says, don't add to me. It's tempting though, isn't it? Isn't that what they had done up to this point? 
had taken the word of God and said, and let us help you with the word of God by adding 613 laws. You know, the other really cool thing about this is um, I heard this example and it really kind of struck me. If, like, you, if you take one ear of corn and you break off one kernel, just one kernel, right? And you plant that one kernel. From that will grow one stalk. But on one stalk of corn is, let's say, five years of corn. Now you take those five years of corn and you take all of those kernels and now you've got a few hundred kernels that you can plant. And now you plant a few hundred kernels and from you get a few hundred stalks, each with four or five years of corn. And then you take all of those kernels and now you've got a few thousand kernels and you plant a few thousand corn kernels in the ground, and all of those grow up into corn, and all of those have five or six ears of corn, and you take all those, and pretty soon you've got millions and millions of kernels that have been planted. And in fact, if you did that actually, um, in a few years, the entire globe would be covered with corn. Doesn't that sound like how the Lord wants us to spread Christianity? Plant a seed, let that seed grow up. Those seeds then go out and plant seeds and those seeds grow up. Isn't that how it's supposed to work? It's so cool. It's so cool. Jesus says in the first example, the seed that the thrower uh, sowed onto the wayside, the path, was the one who has a hardened heart. The path is hardened. It's beat down over time and over use. The, the ground has become not soft but hard. And he says, this is the seed, the word of God, that lands on the one who has a hardened heart. It's not able to accept the word in. It's the person that says, I don't know about that. I hear what you're saying about you know, the Bible and about Jesus, but I don't know about that. I mean, was there anybody here that was hardened soil at some point in their life? I don't know about that. And it's a, he says, what happens? Satan comes in right away, plucks up all those seeds off of that hardened ground. Why? Why the urgency? Why is Satan coming in? Why doesn't he just leave it there to be fried up by the sun? It's not getting in. Why the urgency? Because Satan knows the power of the word, even on a hardened heart, to soften it up. So Many of you just raised your hand and said, yep, I was that hardened path. But guess what? You're sitting right here right now. What happened? The soil of your heart was turned over. And it was turned over by the power of the word of God and it got in. And that's why Satan is like, I got to get in there and I got to get that seed off that path because I know the power to penetrate a hardened heart. Thank God. Thank God that it does that. But he who received the seed on a stony places, verse 20, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulations and persecutions, persecutions arise because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Jesus says there is one who hears the word and receives it with joy. But when, there, when problems come up, because they have no rich, deep soil, they have rocky soil, there isn't room for roots to grow. And when persecutions come, tribulations, they stumble. I don't actually, I mean, I don't know. I guess I could think about who this might be, someone who, you know, has some kind of an emotional response 
uh, going to a conference or a revival or a concert or something, and they're like, yeah, I'm going to go down, and they go down front, and they uh, pray, and they say, I'm accepting Jesus, um, and they have this emotional response to what they just heard, but there's, no, there's too many rocks in their soil. And then they face tribulation. Someone comes along later and they're like all, they've got joy as they go out and they go into work the next day. And they're like, I went to this great concert. It was this Christian concert. And, and I went down and I accepted Jesus. And their friends and their coworkers are like, you believe that stuff? You believe in the Bible? You think that's true? You think that whole Jesus? It was written by just a whole bunch of middle-aged white men. That's what I hear. That's, that's what I've heard. Like, have you ever heard of the Bible? Because <laughs> I don't think they were white guys. or middle-aged you know and uh, there was 40 different authors of the bible by the way over you know many many thousands of years but hey whatever but see uh, someone comes in and starts questioning them immediately because they don't have any roots they're like oh yeah i didn't uh i really thought that through exactly you know sadly there is a a statistic and I, i experienced this myself is that um like um, in, in my church in New York, my wife and I actually uh, were fortunate. We got baptized on the same day. We didn't even plan that. Just was like, I'm thinking in my head, I'm going to get baptized. And she was thinking, I'm going to get baptized. Um, and then we got home, we were, and it's almost the same time. We're like, we're going to get baptized. And we were like, well, me too. We got baptized with like five other people that day. The very next Sunday, Deirdre and I and one other person were the only person still there. Everybody else was gone. Never saw them again. Never saw them again. Now, I don't know, maybe they, ju- maybe they were on vacation to Yonkers. <laughs> I don't know. I could be worse, I suppose. Maybe they had an emotional response and then faced tribulation immediately after and were burned up by... In fact, the word here, immediately he stumbles... In Greek, it's a word that means falls away. In fact, even, even more specifically, snared and caused to sin. What, what is it that, what, what sin could they be committing? If someone comes into that person and says, you believe all that junk? What a bunch of hooey that is. And they're like, yeah, yeah, I think, you know what, you're right. I don't know what I was thinking. I, you know what, I don't really believe in all that stuff like I thought I did. They've just rejected Christ in that moment. No roots. Now he says, he who received the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. So the seed that lands in the thorny ground where I said there was no exposure to the sun and they weren't getting any water is the person who receives it, but it says that the cares of this world, you know what that is? That's the word in Greek that is anxiety. Anxiety means fractured into pieces. This is the person who hears the word and receives it, but then is fractured by the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. And so they're all over the place at this point. Remember the the rich young ruler that comes to Jesus. He says, what else do I have to do? I mean, I've done everything. What else do I need to do to be able to add eternal life to my long list of possessions? And Jesus says to that man, you lack one thing. And I'm sure that guy was thinking, yes. 
this one thing. I have tons of money. I can afford it. And Jesus says, sell everything. (laughs) Give the money to the poor and follow me. Essentially, what Jesus says to that man is, you lack a single-hearted devotion to God. You're pulled, you're fractured in all different directions. You have this, you have these possessions, you have worries about this, and you have the cares or what's it called? The deceitfulness of riches. You know that riches, money, is not a bad thing in itself. Money is just money, right? The Bible doesn't say that it is the root of all evil. What does it say? The love of money is the root of all evil. The love, the deceitfulness of riches. You think, you know what? If I could just win the lottery, all of my problems would go away. They would be multiplied a million times because everyone you know that needs money now is like, hey, how's it going? I haven't talked to you in a while. You look good. (laughs) Do a little search and see how many people end up bankrupt after winning the lottery after a year right? You know, it's the deceitfulness of riches. Oh, if I just had the money, I could do this. I could do that. I would give to this person. I would start this ministry. I would do that after I pay off my debt and get a car and buy my house on the beach and do all these things. Do you know, I was just talking about this to my daughter the other day. We were like, what would you do if you won $33 million? I don't know why that was the number. But I was like, I would buy a house on the beach. Well, here's the thing. If you buy a house on the beach, which you can't for $33 million right now, but... If you could, do you know that the property taxes on a house at $33 million on the beach is about $300,000 a year? (laughs) You take that into account when you're going to purchase your house with your lottery winnings because that's what happens. People don't do that. You need, you know, for a house like that, you need about half a million dollars just to maintain that thing from year to year to year. You better build that into your budget. Deceitfulness of riches, and people don't, and they end up in trouble. And Jesus is saying that these people, they, they, they hear the word, but the sun doesn't get in, the water doesn't get in there, and they are choked out, literally suffocated. The word is suffocated by the cares of this world, by anxiety, and by the deceitfulness of riches. But, he says in verse 23, he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some hundredfold, some 60, and some 30. I just want to point out something really quick here. Even in Jesus' day, in his own words, of all the people that he spreads the word to, how many Hear, receive, and bear fruit. Give me a fraction. A quarter. A quarter of the people. Do you ever see that before? Do you ever understand that he's saying, look, of all the people even that I speak to, that I, send, that I spread the word to, a quarter of them actually receive it, are good fertile soil, believe it, and bear fruit. I only say that to not discourage you. To say that share but don't be discouraged if someone doesn't receive it. Someone says, you know, I'm glad, I'm glad that you found something that works for you, but I'm good. You know, when you say to somebody, hey, can I pray for you? Like, no, I'm good. Really? You don't, not even prayer? You don't even need prayer? You're good? You're, no, no, I'm good. I think they're afraid that we're going to somehow trick them into being a Christian. Be like, ha ha, I prayed. You're a Christian now. Oh, 
man, now I have to be boring. Don't be discouraged because even Jesus is saying, of all the people that he talked to, only a quarter of them actually received it and bore fruit. Now, here's, the really, here's an interesting thing. I know in my Bible it's called the parable of the sower, but actually it's probably better called the parable of the soil because the seed is the same. The sower is the same. The soil is different in each instance. So the question is, what soil are you? What soil are you? Are you the soil, the soft soil, the fertile soil who's received the word and believes and there's fruit being born in your life? I hope so. But maybe your soil is the hard packed soil that the seed lands on because of time and life and whatever use of your life and your soil is hard and the seed of the word of God right now, guess what? I'm sowing it. Like I'm not the soil. I'm not the sower. But I am sowing right now. And are the seeds falling on the path of your life and is your heart hardened so that it's not getting in? There's hope. There's hope. I'm hopeful in that because I know that Satan wants to come in right now and steal those seeds away because he knows the power of the word on the hardened soil of your heart. It can penetrate. Many of us can testify to that. But are you the soil that received it because you um, got wrapped up in an emotional response, but you're consumed with the anxiety of your life so much so that you are unable to trust in the word of God? Are you being choked out, suffocated by the cares of this world? Doesn't Jesus say, I am the God who provides. The God who provides. I see you. That's one of his names. The God who sees you. He says, another one of my names, the God who provides for you. If we believe that, we should be able to be like, hands off the wheel. Jesus, take the wheel. Right now. Let's see where you want to go. The problem is we're afraid of where that might lead, right? Like, I don't want to go to Borneo. (laughs) I I don't want to go to Borneo. But here's the thing, you know, like Jesus says, you know what? Trust me, I'm not going to send you someplace that you're going to hate. I don't think he would. But I think what he would do is put the desire on your heart. Tomorrow, you may, you know, a week, a month, a year from now, you'd be like, I got to go to Borneo. I can't not go to Borneo. I, I don't know. Why Borneo, but it sounds fun. What soil are you? I'm just going to do one more. We're going to do one more because I still have like eight and a half minutes. Another parable. He put forth to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and, they, and then they went and went his way. And when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, Then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came to him and said, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How does that have tares? He said to them, An enemy has done this. The servants said to him, Do you want us to go and gather them up? 
But he said to them, No, lest while you gather up tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. <clears throat> Let them both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. This story Jesus tells them, this parable that he gives them, is the example of someone who has a wheat field, um, and while they're all asleep, in, under the cover of darkness, an enemy comes and plants weeds among his wheat. And it's actually not just regular weeds, it's very specific weeds. It's called the darnel weed. And the darnel weed, as it grows, looks just like wheat. It's almost indistinguishable, especially when it's young. But as it grows up and then begins to ripen, as the wheat ripens, the kernels of the wheat turn this like beautiful golden brown color. The darnel plant, the, the kernels of that plant turn black. And so they become obvious at that point, at the end when it's time to harvest it up. But in between that time, it looks the same. And so the farmer says to his servants, no, <clears throat> don't go and pull up the weeds because you might actually also pull up the wheat. In fact, this plant has a root that grows down and wraps around the root of the wheat. So even if you could just pull out the one, you would most likely pull out the um, the good weed as well. In fact, and I heard another Bible teacher that I trust say, and I didn't look this up, so if it's wrong, you can blame him, but it was a neat idea. Wheat, when it ripens under the weight of its own kernels, begins to bow. Have you ever seen a wheat field where the wheat kind of bows down like this? The darnel plant does not bow. So it stands straight up and it becomes obvious at the time of harvest. So Jesus is saying, um, the wheat bows, the, the, the counterfeit fake wheat doesn't bow and it's black and it's bitter and it makes you sick if you eat it. That's the story that he tells them. Now we're going to flip over to verse 36. Turn over to 36 because Jesus actually gives them the explanation. In verse 36 it says, then Jesus sent the multitudes away and went to the house and his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the tares of the wheat because they, they needed an explanation. Now again, they didn't understand it, but what did they have? A desire to know it. They knew there was something to it. And so they may not know it, but they came and asked, what does this mean? And he said to them, he who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather up his kingdom, uh, gather up, gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness and will cast them into the furnace of fire, there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Who, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Again, he says this to them. There's more to this. So they, Jesus says, he basically tells you right there, I can't do better than that. I can't do better than Jesus' own words. He tells you the wheat is the, are, are the, the children of the kingdom of heaven. The tares are the counterfeits. That grow up. I heard somebody say the other day that there are three types of people believers, unbelievers, and make believers. 
Make believers are the tares in this story. They look like people who believe until the end. They don't bow to the one, the, the one uh, who sowed the Son of Man. They are black in their hearts. They are bitter. They are poisonous. But, but what Jesus says is interesting. He says, don't you concern yourself with tearing them out of the kingdom. Leave that to me and to my harvesters, the angels, at the end. The wheat is supposed to be uh, wheat. Bow to the one, the one who is worthy of all praise. Amen. We, it's not our job to pull up the wheat. Our job is to grow into the light and go into the image of Jesus Christ, as it says in his word. There's so much, guys, there's so much. I, you know what I encourage you to do? Like, read the rest of this because he only describes, he only goes down and breaks out two parables. So read the parables in chapter 13 and see what you hear. See what you hear? <laughs> As I'm mixing metaphors. or uh, That's okay. Jesus does it all the time. Jesus totally mixes metaphors. I want you to ask yourself today, for the rest of the day, what soil are you? What soil am I? Am I the soil that has received the seed um, as fertile soil where it's taken root and where I'm bearing fruit, some 60, some 30, some 100 fold? Or is my heart too hardened? Or am I, am I being fractured by the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches? What's my goal? What am I shooting for? What am I trying to reach? Am I trying to get to be independently wealthy? Once I'm wealthy, then I'll What? One of the richest men in the world, when asked how much money is enough, he said, a little bit more. That was his pursuit. What's yours? Let's pray. Father God, I do thank you so much for your word this morning. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to be able to stand here and to to be the tool in your hand by which you speak. Lord, what an honor, what a privilege it is for me. Lord, I pray that as we go out today that we do examine our lives and ask ourselves, am I the fertile soil in which the word of God takes root and grows up and bears fruit? Lord, I pray that we would ask ourselves, am I more concerned about tearing up the weeds from the kingdom of heaven than asking God to use me however he would use me in the kingdom of heaven to encourage, to love, to introduce people to Jesus Christ? Lord, I pray that would be our desire. Lord, I pray that you would make that our desire in our hearts so we would pursue that with all that we have. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. In your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen.